I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamplett and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite. Sidgwick, what did you make of last night's show? I had an epiphany during last night's episode of Dynamite. I've already remarked as such on Twitter. The mm. mega fans will forgive me. And those <laughs> mega fans include Brian. Happy birthday to you. I had an epiphany because there were various moments during this show when a certain match was a nice gentleman's three, soundtracked by an absolutely enraptured audience, so it carried it over the line. When there was one too many consecutive verbal segments, and I'm thinking, if I was at one point promised blood and guts in Newark, New Jersey's Prudential Center, I might be a little bit knocked yeah. that I'm getting an excellent table-setting go-home episode instead of a destination what was this, like a year and a half in the making, this show? Indeed. So I'm thinking, I'm putting my, I'm an empathetic guy. I'm trying to put my mind in the mind of the audience watching it. And I'm thinking, oh, if I was them, I'd be a little bit disappointed by the table setting as great episodic TV as this is. And I'm thinking, if I'm actually putting myself in the minds of the audience, I'm losing it because they were going <laughs> absolutely crazy. So my prevailing take was, initially I'm thinking, come on, do something with this massive arena other than an excellent dynamite. And then I thought, you know what? These dynamites deserve to be in arenas this big. Mm. It's not like the little engine that could, you know, Tony Khan's billions. But you know <laughs> what I mean? Like this new upstart that shouldn't have got a foothold in a TV industry, in an advertising industry that's historically hated professional wrestling. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, save these big, nice basketball arenas, ruffle the hair. Oh, you should be doing major shows. Should they? Because Raw does these arenas, mm. and they just give them rubbish. Episodic TV, at its best, and Dynamite is that, is worth an arena like this, because listen to the goddamn reaction. So once I recalibrated my headspace and thought, all right, this is just going to be a go-home Dynamite, I enjoyed it 
as the fabulous go home dynamite that it was. Mm. Yeah, well, 14, 15,000 people there. And from the moment like Punk came out and Cole came out, you could really feel it, couldn't you? Yeah, give the people what they want, especially if there's 14, 15,000 of them this week and there'll be 20,000 next week. I love this dynamite so much. Um, like we've talked before about our own viewing routines. And if I'm not watching live, I'll try and get up early hours and creep downstairs and not wake the kids up so I can just enjoy it on the telly before I have to switch to the phone. Sleep on the couch on a Wednesday, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's You're laughing. a good idea, I, That's yeah. what I do. Dynamite has reduced you to the couch, but you've got no regrets. I'm living the best Alan Partridge life <laughs> on a Wednesday night. Oh, yeah, everyone associates being like sent to the couch as like a punishment yeah. or like a problem. You're like, I'd juggling I'd, down on the couch at Wednesday right. I'd check into the Linton Travel Tavern just to watch Dynamite. No, I like, <laughs> that's it. So I'm in a separate room trying to keep quiet. This Dynamite makes me want to run through walls and wake the whole family up. But then it's like, I don't need my family. I've got this week's Dynamite. <laughs> like, yeah, that's how much I love this show. We're going to go through this, as we always do, piece by piece. And there were certain set, like sections that I didn't like, a couple of matches that I didn't think hit. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. Find the hottest episode of Monday Night Raw from the year 2000 and not everything will hit. The whole night, the whole experience will leave you just absolutely euphoric because if you've ever enjoyed pro wrestling, it's this that you're chasing. I feel like I'm saying this a lot at the moment and I'm probably not really saying this to anybody listening at this podcast. I just feel like it constantly needs bearing repeating. If you are a wrestling fan and you are not watching this, Why? Like, <laughs> yeah. why are you bothering with pro wrestling? Like, earnestly, I'm like, I'm at this point, I'm asking that question to anybody. I know there's like the, the WWE hardcore weirdos on Twitter, but it's not just them either. It's anybody that maybe is only casting half a glimpse or like your lapsed fan mates. This is it. If you've ever had a passion for this, it's this right yeah. now. And it won't be this forever. And I wish it could be. But watch it now for Christ's sake, because it's just so special feeling. We often talk about, on this podcast, about going out and touching some grass. Touching right? grass. Don't be a grass, right? But Mrs. is away with work over the last couple of days, right? She spoke to her this morning, and she was like, oh, I felt so awful waking up not being next to you. And I was thinking, oh, I didn't. I woke up with Adam, <laughs> Cole. I woke up with Adam Cole and CM Punk. So, yeah, I was pretty happy, to be honest. You're but don't like, tell her that. Basically, don't snitch on Twitter, she, basically. She's going like, what's that music in the background? <laughs> no, no, no. It's the advert music from Fight. You just turned it up louder. Like, anyway, got to go and get breakfast. It's 6 a.m. Bye. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's start at the beginning of the show. Um, mixed emotions, I've got to say. And you probably echo this, both of you. CM Punk comes out, massive entrance, huge reaction. Oh, oh please stop jumping in the crowd because it makes me worried. Do you have that as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, ah. I know we, we're not exactly, you know, on top of our... Is it mixed because I don't give a toss anymore? <laughs> I, I, ju- I have gone both ways on uh, happy CM Punk, and I'm back in the camp of more, please. Um, Adam Nicholas of this parish observed last week, um, you know, I've always known, Hamlet, that you've got your guys that you just go back for, no matter what they do. Ah, there's Brett, there's Nash. There's Bailey and there's Sasha. CM Punk's one, isn't he? And I was like, he is. And I didn't know this until this comeback because I think WWE, as they were draining the life out of him, were draining my energy for Mm. him out of me. This run is the most wonderful feeling thing. More CM Punk opens the show to an enormous pop that almost he can't believe. I appreciate the health and safety nature of the jumping into the crowd. (laughs) However... It does represent what I still think is a feeling coming through the screen. Completely understood the reasons, the reasoned criticism before the Derby Allen match. I think we've gone all the way back. There is at least one of these in every building in the United States because they haven't had it yet. There was a woman singing along to Cult of Personality as if it was Judas. Mm. And I thought, you have to ride this out. Like, he can have the matches. He's just been put through a table. He's going to be raging. But, like, 
that entrance, I mean, there was only one guy that could follow it, and he did. But that entrance was better than anything WWE have done all year. That's not an yeah. exaggeration. It was so powerful. Just wear a mask and sanitize your hands, that's all. And get vaccinated. And get vaccinated, uh, yeah, most importantly. get vaccinated, obviously. <laughs> but the best thing is, is they listen, they know, they are firmly on the pulse of the pro wrestling fandom. They are sensing that there's a little bit of, get to the point! And boy, did they get to it later. Oh, mm. yes, we'll get to that. And as you mentioned, Hampler, Adam Cole came out next to a huge reaction. He was opening the show with Frankie Kazarian. Uh, they got straight into it. Kaz puts him in a headlock. Cole suplexes over him over the top ropes onto the apron. Uh, Kazarian comes back in, hitting a slingshot famasser over the ropes. Uh, later on, Cole's there firing up the bang, but uh, Kazarian catches the super kick, bridges into a German suplex uh, for a near fall. Uh, then out of nowhere, Cole hits Kazarian with a super kick, goes for the Panama Sunrise, but Kazarian catches him and turns it into a wicked Alabama slam and a springboard leg drop for a two count. Uh, Kazarian looks like he's dominating. He, he hits the rebound lariat, uh, but Cole, who's used this move uh, multiple times in the match, hits another Ushigoroshi, gets a near fall, then he gets the Panama Sunrise and uses the, I don't know what the last shot is called now in AEW, uses that anyway to get the one, two, three. Post-match, it was story time with Adam Cole, baby. Uh, he says that hope is a dangerous thing and that the locker room hopes they can keep up with the elite, but that's just not going to happen. He talked about the three guys who've gotten under his skin since he arrived. They are Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy, and he challenged them to take on himself and the Young Bucks in a six-man tag. Uh, he says the super click is back, baby, and there's nothing anyone can do about it, and that match will go down on the Grand Slam Rampage next week. Uh, what an announcement, and how did you think he did in his in-ring AEW debut, Sige? It was a gentleman's three elevated by a six-star crowd. That's what it was to me. There was one problem with this match in terms of how it didn't crackle with the electricity one would expect from Adam Cole and friggin' AEW, because Adam Cole, like, summoned electricity in the Capital Wrestling Center. And that problem is, Frankie Kazarian should not have done a goddamn job to Doc Gallows. <laughs> That's the definitive point where this has all started to go wrong for Kazarian, because if you remember, double or nothing, his... Elite Hunter shtick was bang over. Yeah. The second that there was a sense of disturbance in the Young Bucks versus Mox and Kingston match, he came out, dampened that threat, and got massively over, got a booming reaction. Frankie Kazarian, can you remember the first Penta and Eddie Kingston versus Young Bucks match on yes. Dynamite before they did the Road Rager? And that match was better than Road Rager. It was Brandon Cutler spraying himself in the eyes. <laughs> it was this incredible match, this incredible dramatic pro wrestling presentation. And frankly, Kazarian was banging the heart of it as this guy who was ready to restore justice. And then he got beat off Doc Gallows. And ever since then, it's like, oh, well, there's no reason to invest in him. He's getting beat off Doc Gallows. So basically, in this match, I just felt this palpable, oh, if only Kazarian hadn't got beat off Doc Gallows. If only he was hot, this match would be hotter. But his promo was great. The catchphrase was great. The entrance was unbelievable. There was one near fall, actually, that they worked really well to craft from the Panama Sunrise in mm. the Alabama Slam. The leg drop, like, that got a really good reaction. And realistically, just when they were working this crowd, who were understandably called on the prospect of what was a formality of a result, they really started to get into it. But the fact that the punk introduction and all the rest of it meant it only went eight minutes, I think. Mm -hmm. I think if they won 12 or 15, this would have been a total banger, but... Didn't have to be a banger, did it? It's Adam Cole getting that reaction. And now we're getting Cole and the Bucks versus Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, and Christian Cage, which we'll get more to later on as well. 
Yeah, um, a great booking for you know a rampage that is looking almost as good as an awesome dynamite. Um, I love already like Adam Cole establishing the super click in AEW canon as being something on par or better than the elite. By that I mean Kenny in the books. You know, it's this, it's this thing that's now going to breathe every week. Adam Cole versus Kenny Omega without it ever being Adam Cole versus Kenny Omega, which is great. I actually, in terms of the runtime, point Cedric made, I I liked that they kept this short because I think even if you'd have gone to 12, I don't think that sense of formality would have, like, dissipated. I don't think they had it. This was a better opener than it was a wrestling match. Yeah. If that makes sense, it was like this. You got the huge pop for Adam Cole. Huge pop. You got this feeling that the show's got yet another mega star, not just a star, not just an NXT signing, a mega, like a main eventer in waiting has arrived. Um, Murray was saying it this morning, who else could generate that kind of reaction in the shadow of uh, Brian Donison and CM Punk? It's Adam Cole and not many others. Um, so I liked that this, the, the traditional sort of 12 to 15 minute thing was subverted for one amazing entrance that made you wish you were in the venue, followed by another, followed by a match that kind of, if nothing else, justified why that entrance was so amazing. Mm. Got it done because Kaz has been completely neutralised as a threat. It is a shame because I want to remember Kaz the Elite Hunter in the black hoodie, almost where you couldn't see his face because he was moving so fast and there was such a dangerous energy to it. Everything Retribution never was was the Elite Hunter Kaz <laughs> for a few weeks. Um, they're not going to get that again. No, no matter how, like, how brooding they make him look in his entrance. So he was a, a reasonable sacrifice for, this pr- for what was really a presentation of Adam Cole. Yeah, the ideal sort of introduction in-ring debut for me for Adam Cole and yeah you go okay what's next oh my god it's a trios match featuring the Young Bucks and well we'll get to more of that a little bit later on uh, because we got a video promo recapping the history between the Lucha Bros uh, and the Butcher and the Blade and their friendship and blah 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 and now of course the Lucha Bros are the tag champs uh, and they were gonna they're gonna face off the tag titles this week on Rampage we'll of course discuss that more on our Rampage preview which is out tomorrow and then uh, Fuego Del Sol and Sammy Guevara are backstage Fuego of course talking about the fact he's got a contract now in AW and he's got a nice new car to go with it but he's putting that on the line against Miro for another shot at the TNT Championship. What a brilliantly ridiculous stipulation this is. Yeah, I've not been kind to car stuff in the past. Um, so whether or not this is generosity towards AEW as a whole or generosity towards the inevitability of Miro either stealing that car and taking it with Lana in the back or stealing it and smashing it up just with his own hands like a Street Fighter bonus level, I don't know. But this didn't feel as... AEW loves cars, because <laughs> there was a long period where they loved cars too much. This didn't feel like a Cody car segment. This felt like, oh, Fuego, oh, don't. It could have it been a car, it could have been a house, it could have been, Fuego's having a nice time with his new contract. Oh, Fuego, don't do this. And that's what I got out of it more than the car stuff. It's like, don't. Make, like, he could he could be massively in uh, Lego or games consoles like a lot of wrestlers are, and it's like, don't offer that to Miro. Like, he's, <laughs> he's going to ruin it. Forgive the wordplay here, but cars and AEW were like a thing for a month and it was pretty awful. This is a car, but it's not really a car. It's a vehicle. Ah, It's a vehicle for Miro to break your heart, to be a bastard. And I do love that fantasy book you've just alluded to of Miro actually approaching the car, the door swinging open for him, big sieges in the air, in the passenger seat. More on that on the Rampage preview as well, of course. Then MJF uh, comes out to cut a promo. He's got Wardlow with him. Uh, slags off New Jersey, calls it the 
armpit of America. He says, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Taylor Ham, and their mid-hockey team have all got one thing in common. They suck as hard as their Jersey Shore skanks. <laughs> He's uh, been made aware that his words last week may have... May have touched a nerve, may have offended a few people. You think? Um, he doesn't care, though, of course. He's salt of the earth. He's a religious man, and so he's going to have a conversation, oh, my God, with the late, great Brian Pillman. And he looks up to the heavens, and then he says, who am I trying to kid? He looks down, and he goes, hey, Brian, we got to have a chat, because he's down in hell, according to MJF. He said, Pillman, you're a legend, but your son is a lame excuse uh, for your legendary pedigree. Uh, tell your son I'm going to massacre him. Uh, he goes to do the, he says to the fans, look, you can chant all you want, but I'm better than you and you. Brian Pillman's mu Jr.'s music plays MJF. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> MJF instructs Wardlow to cut him off on the ramp. But of course, Pillman Jr. Uh, figured this might well be the case. So he is actually sliding in uh, from ringside, comes up behind MJF with a chair. MJF begs off. This allows Wardlow time to get in the ring and snatch the chair from Pillman. So Pillman slaps the taste out of Wardlow's mouth. Uh, Wardlow goes after him, gets sent to the outside, and um, Pillman is swinging a chair around, and the MJF and Wardlow bail. They're going to face off next week on Grand Slam, of course, Sige. I mean, he's just on fire, is young Maxwell, at the moment. I've tried, I've ummed it, it's one of those, it's yet another one of those promos where it's like, don't know if you can say that, and then you're in the DMs going, class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely class. The trick is, you can't do this stuff when the body's still warm. It's kind of reprehensible, very pro wrestling, very WWE. Give it a couple of decades, bish, bash, bosh, cheap heat. Works. Like, you know, we know he's got the full consent of Ryan Pillman Jr. to do this. It's absolutely fine. The delivery was masterful. The, I, for whatever reason, didn't see it coming. The, ah, who am I kidding? Yeah. That's where he is. Um, so the delivery was fantastic. The material was fantastic. My favorite thing about it was there was a little bit of a rumbling last week that Pillman Jr. didn't look like he was on MJF's level, didn't look particularly smart or brave or whatever. Give it a week, lads. Give it a single week. Even give it 48 hours because he got the job done on Rampage. If you give it a week, he will prove himself to be a little bit smarter, which he did here. Like, yet again, in terms of how hot this feels, how much thought has been applied to it, this is an undercard television match that has been crafted with way more passion and care, humor, black humor, obviously, but humor, than virtually anything other wrestling promotions do. And Punk sort of gave the game away as well in terms of what you can expect next week by saying, look, he's going to get his hands on MJF finally. He's going to give him a good hiding, but he's going to be so fizzing, he's going to make a mistake, or Wardlow's going to allow MJF to take advantage, and MJF's going to get the victory, and it's going to annoy everyone just that little bit more. Interesting that Punk's able to get into MJF's headspace, isn't it? Like, that might matter in 12 months. Yeah. Like, I love this, and it's just sort of like Echo Sidgwick's take really there. I love what this represents more than the content. MJF has come out of a Chris Jericho feed that I feel after two weeks is already highlighting, went on too long. I personally, this is my own personal opinion, this MJF feels like a headliner, which you could argue, well, maybe a, a long feud of Chris Jericho has helped make him. I'm looking at this character now and thinking, you were trapped in that thing too long. Mm. You were talking about the same guy running out of steam for way too long because this just feels so fresh for the pure purpose of making a television match more fun than it would have been. You could run Arthur Ashe, uh, MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr., 
having not had MJF appear since All Out and then flash the graphic up and we'd be like, where's MJF gone? And then they say, oh, he's fighting Brian Pillman Jr. next week and it's going to be a short squash. If they wanted to, they could do that. They've done it with other wrestlers before, but they thought, no, this is absolutely worthy of getting some heat and it's like been, I don't, wouldn't say it's been wasted television time for it because it, they've been relatively short, but it's been full of talking points. You know, it's, it's not going to make Brian Pillman Jr. He'll go back to the varsity blondes after this but they'll be more over as a result. I think Brian Pillman Jr. will feel like a bigger deal in AEW mm. as a result of this, what should be pretty routine win for MJF. I, I, I really, really admire the craft and how big time MJF feels all over again, all of a sudden. Did you like the dichotomy of, of placing this and immediately following, uh, immediately following this, sorry, with Brian Pillman Jr. doing the sit-down with JR and JR talking about Pillman's dad and saying that he got embarrassed last week by MJF, saying he need, we need to see MJF get his ass whipped. Uh, do you have you got what it takes? And yeah, Pillman acknowledging that you know he isn't just like oh no, you know he maybe got one over on me. He's like no, I've got to be careful. I'm, I'm dealing with the sort of Pillman family legacy. I'm representing my dad here, uh, and he talks about his upbringing. He says that MJF, you know, he he he, he wasn't struggling. All the time, but whilst MJF was living in luxury, he was fighting for his life. You've never been in the ring with someone like me, says Pillman Jr. He talked about his upbringing being feral, uh, and uh, Arthur Ash, MJF is stepping in the ring with the Pillman. How do you like the way that they presented this following that segment? So there's two things I really liked about this. Number one was that Brian Pillman Jr. has either radiated nothing much at all. Or a slight feeling, we acknowledged this last week, a slight feeling of weirdness that like there's been a lot of like cosplay in his dad in his career. Until Dark Side of the Ring, when you were just like, God bless Aunt Linda and well done, Brian. For, and like all of the kids and all of the family for just like surviving a really tough go of it. He came out of this as like this broad-shouldered young lad that had gone through things that none of us would ever want to. And they found the way to translate that Brian Pillman into AW Cannon with his sit-down with Jim Ross. You couldn't just replay the Dark Side footage, but it was worth harnessing that part of Brian Pillman's life in a diluted manner for a wrestling TV show. I love that it came after it because any, we've talked, there's loads of different examples, but any way that you can sort of try and suggest that everything you're watching is real, it, it, like that contributes so much to the feeling and the vibe. Brian, that segment was due to air after MJF interview time. If you imagine that this is a real show on a board because Brian Pillman Jr. wasn't supposed to run out, MJF's supposed to come out and talk about his match. But he's such an arsehole that what he's done is he's forced Brian Pillman Jr. to come out and defend his father. So I love that, that, that like, that's just my own personal headcanon, but I, I believe that exists to allow you to think that for yourself. But like on the board was MJF promotes match. And then we've got Brian Pillman Jr. with a retort. But MJF's been so hideous <laughs> that like real life has intervened with their plan because Brian Pillman Jr. has had no choice but to come out and do something about it. I like that. Another thing that I continue to love before we move on quickly is AEW versus MGF is the best long-running feud <laughs> in this company. They don't have a wacky heel commentator who likes the heels just because it's a funny dynamic at the commentary booth. Like, they present the veneer of their broadcast professionals being precisely that, with the exception of MGF. Tony Schiavone has this long-running feud with him. And Tony Schiavone, what does that say about MGF if Tony Schiavone, the heart so the warmth of AEW just kind of sanction this sociopathic little bastard. Aside from when he tweeted last night as well, about he Adam wanted Cole. Adam Cole to get his head caved <laughs> in. Yeah. But it's so powerful because yeah. of what we feel about Shivani. Jim Ross did the exact same thing. Like, we kind of need you to kick this little idiot's, this horrible little bastard's head in. And 
so much thought goes into preserving MJF as the real awful baddie at the core of this organization, the one whose horrible words and horrible personality just send it into disrepute. Like, it's one of the reasons on a broad macro level why I adore this company. Mm. It does these little nuanced details to present itself as an actual sporting federation. Whenever an a, someone has been attacked, like a referee, they always get fined. Whenever, like, Alex Marvel was, was getting kicked in the face, they're always, like, the sanctity of being a broadcaster is just a tiny little insignificant detail that really means something mm. to the grand tapestry of it all. And MGF is the worst because they can't bring themselves to maintain their professionalism because he's such a little twat. <laughs> uh, then we got the response from uh, Christian Cage and Jurassic Express to the, the call out by Cole earlier. Jungle Boy's talking. He's saying, uh, you know, Cole, I'm better than you. I've got better friends. I've got better hair. And Christian goes, are you sure? Um, <laughs> I've got to disagree with you. Like a nice little, like you say, another breadcrumb there between those two. Uh, he says, look, you are good friends. You saved your friend Adam Cole from developmental. He says, seeing as you're used to losing the Wednesday Night Wars. Let's add that one. Let's add Friday to that list as well. Uh, and they accept the challenge. Luchasaurus growls. It's happening on Friday. It's all we need. Lovely stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's easy bait. They love to beat WWE. They love to take had the Christian piss. Cage taking the first post-war shot. It wasn't uh, yeah. me. Like, I didn't expect that one. It's absolutely class. Like, they would think this. They absolutely would think this. It's one of those where you have to build your opponents up, but no, you don't listen to that reaction. You don't have to do the, here's a nice thing, also your narsal sort of wrestling thing that, you know, has to be done. But yeah, you would say this. Some new cock of the walk is strutted in, and thankfully it's Adam Cole and not Terry Taylor. <laughs> and you would, and he's pointing, he's like pointing you out for a fight. He's challenging you to a fight. You're going to trash talk him, and that's the perfect bit of air. Uh, and it works because we all know because we are the in-the-know in the audience. Mm -hmm. They know that we know that Adam Cole is the only guy who moved the needle in NXT. <laughs> so it's not damaging. It's just good trash talk. I think it plays to the turn as well. Like, it's okay for Jungle Boy to say, I want to fight you because I'm better than you. I've got better hair. Like, I'm, you know, I'm a better wrestler, all that sort of stuff. Christian Cage has been a bit of a he's dick a there. Dick, man. He's, he's, he's shown his arsehole side. It was his, shush, 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 shush. I'll uh, take it from here. Like, right. that was directly cruel to Jungle Boy. The rest of his promo was just, you're not a very nice guy. And you're with the, like, at the pay-per-view, you were there, arms in the air with Brian Danielson, the nice guys. He isn't about stopping the elite. He's, and like, people have always said this about Christian. I love Christian. He's a prick. Yeah. Like, he's sort of, he's a funnier one with Edge because he's going to take a dig. And I just, I think that was like a nice time to show it, literally after shushing Jungle Boy, because one of these days when he does turn, it's going to be like, you knew who you're hanging out with, like yeah. this, this asshole. Yeah. Like, it's, I, I love that, that it's not just a matter of him being jealous of Jungle Boy. He's now starting, starting to show that like he's, he's got it in him to like be a spiky little arsehole. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and it makes sense AEW would shoot on WWE now that AEW only have the second best Chicago and Tony D'Angelo running <laughs> on uh, NXT 2.0. We got uh, Dante Martin and Matt Seidel versus FTR. Before I run through the match, what do you think of the um, uh, fundamentals of this match? <laughs> Great fundamentals. <laughs> Get on a button soon. Uh, right, so the I story... I could do some things with you. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like, if you haven't heard Kenny Omega's impersonation of Harley Race... And the actual story itself is fantastic. He deserved possibly even better Laurinaitis one as well. Kenny Omega doing Harley Race is legit <laughs> one of the funniest things on the wrestling internet. 
we talk often. Um, You're reckless, boy. <laughs> we talk often about how amazing it is to see like signs, whether it be for what culture or Miller or ridiculously for us at uh, these shows. Eh, it's going to get yeah, to keep, a, keep them coming. It's going to get, but it's going to get to a point where because I saw someone uh, had a touch of grass, touch grass uh, poster. Last was night. that at Cedric was supposed to replicate a tweet of somebody telling you yeah. to touch grass? Yeah. Just inspired. It's class. Chef's kiss. People are going to have like twenty things there. Touch grass. Good one, Mills. Oh man, I've taken. 20 posters to Dynamite this week, lads. We can get a Tony D'Angelo sign on Dynamite. Like, yeah. if anyone was Tony, out there. Tony, sign Tony. Yeah, like, it's Tony Fears Tony. <laughs> a bit of context here, because people are going to think, who the hell's Tony D'Angelo? <laughs> yeah. What they're talking about? We said this on the AEW preview, like, please listen. Like, yeah, NXT it's, it's an NXT done. thing, I know you don't really listen, watch yeah. it. But yeah, Tony D'Angelo. I said this on the, the preview yesterday. He's a new mafia guy in NXT. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the best NXT reviews we've done. It's the most fun I've had in months reviewing NXT. So go and check it out if you haven't done so already. Because, I mean, we talk about the show, but that's not really the, the central point of it all, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, anyway, FTR versus uh, Martin and Seidel. You know the story of this match. It's FTR versus two flippy dudes who are going to use their athletic prowess to try and avoid getting ground down by Dax and Cash. Um, and they do initially. They out-wrestle FTR with their speed, their quickness. Um but as Martin goes to the apron to go for a spin springboard, Cash, who's not the legal man, kicks him to the floor because, of course, he does. Chops him on the outside, sends him into the ring post. Eventually, you know, they get the uh, they get the momentum, so to speak. Uh, Martin inside Al side Al hits some kicks and strikes, leaping all over the place. Uh, faints to do a dive and then does this weird sort of brilliant assisted combo dive on to, with with Dante Martin onto both of FTR. Uh, Martin comes in. Dante Martin uh, runs wild, loads of cradles that he exchanges with both Dax and Cash. But in the end, Dax baits him in, Cash attacks him. He tries to fight off both men. Nobody's game catches up to him. He gets hit with a big rig. One, two, three. Hamlet, your thoughts? Um, I, I say this with sadness, honestly. I am looking for so much more from FTR than what I'm getting. And this is feeling all too regular now. And I want to praise them later on in the podcast so this won't all be negative. Um, the matches, I feel like for a while I was making excuses for FTR for things I wasn't really feeling in the matches. And it's reached the point now, especially with crowds being back, like there's been quiet FTR matches, but there was no excuse for a quiet FTR match against a Dante Martin, for example, in this building of all buildings where the crowd were up for almost all of the night. They took one of their only breaks from what certainly from what came through the television um during this match and i think ftr's heat sequences are losing crowds and they were often one of the reasons why takeover became takeover the luxurious elegance of an ftr heat segment was what whipped the crowd into such a frenzy at takeover that then the rest of the show like couldn't bring them down it was they were reinventing. They were like they were bringing back Southern style tag wrestling, but they were redefining it and reinventing it along the way. Um, I, I don't know what Cedric thought of the whole match, but I'm not going to steal a take. We discussed it over the desks about this, but certainly there was just a feeling that is now becoming prevailing. That I don't know if it's that they're missing a step. I, I love the gear still. The Midnight's gear is just yeah. gorgeous. Keep that. Keep that look. Full stop. It really, really suits them. But um, yeah. I don't know. It's f they were giving. You know, yesterday on the preview, I said, "What about Andrade versus Dante Martin? Give him another opportunity to have this awesome banger." Here's FTR being given the opportunity to have a banger with Matt Sydal and Dante Martin. 
and the hottest stuff, not to sound like this kind of like easily distracted wrestling fan, was when Dante Martin came in and did really, really high stuff. Like that was the coolest stuff there. The heat literally didn't function as a heat segment because it didn't generate heat. And I, I don't know. I don't know how the F, how FTR pull themselves out of this because I don't think at this point it's a one-off. I feel like it's a pattern. Just wait till this time next week. Yeah. Legitimately wait until this time next week. Um, I'm kind of half with you and half not. Like, FDR's job in this match was to make Dante Martin look incredible, to look like his near falls were going to score him a win because we know Martin and Seidel are two guys who cannot buy a win in AEW. They're so impressive along the way that they get over. Martin more so because he's that bit more spectacular. He's that He's clearly got potential to be a star. Mm. The last three minutes of this match were excellent, and a large part of that was because FTR, as a Southern-style expert team, know precisely how well to feed, exactly what positions to get into, how to sell, how to escape at 2.9. But then Dante Martin looks this good every week, you know? So I don't mm. know how much praise I can bestow upon them when it's not really an aberration. Um, I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was very good for the time allotted. Um, but there is something to these saggy two-minute periods in an FTR match on TV. It's weird. I don't get it. Because if you cast your mind back, the first quarter of this year, they were in amazing form in singles, tags. They're competing with each other in singles, the matches were so good. Yeah. Um, so I don't get it. Maybe they are just a byproduct of a product that's so hot that a more solid workman-like heat sequence is just the bit where fans think it's obligatory to con yeah. like in the construction of a match and they know it's not really going to... I don't know. Maybe they receive the heat as an ad break even when it isn't. Maybe that's an AW audience thing. Maybe it's an FTR thing. I can't really make my mind up. Your point in the office this morning that I really think is like worth bringing up on like in this discussion was that the NXT peak era ones used to surprise you. Like the stuff they had, like they had surprises in the locker for the way to like pull you back in with the heat. Oh, yeah. and those, they don't seem that they've... Is there it's a creative thing? Yeah, it's not creative. creative. My favourite thing that Dax Harwood, Scott Dawson ever did was run underneath the ring. I'd completely lost sight of where he was. And if I have, his opponents have. And then he scuttles underneath the ring. What an inventive sequence that was. And then he pops back up on the other side and breaks up an ear fall or does whatever he does. I've seen a lot of... And Cash Wheeler was awesome in this match as well. But I've seen a lot of Cash Wheeler. I know it's a spot that they do where he slides across the ring to break up the hot tag. But yeah, the invention of FTR, DIY... Uh, not DIY. The Revival... Like constantly making you go, ah, oh, that's how the fan, that's how the baby faces get. You become the baby face. They've done me again. Yeah. They've done me again. Yeah. Right, yeah. But they haven't done me in a while like mm. that. They did do something I absolutely adored a yeah. little bit later yeah. on, though. So we'll get to that. Uh, and we've got to talk first. I mean, uh, fundamentals. What Cash Wheeler's <laughs> doing with that spot. I'm not criticizing that spot, but at the same time, give me more. I want to be outwitted. It's fundamentals. How are we spelling that? F, F U no D in it. H N. There's an R in there. I'll spell it on Twitter. Okay. FTR's Arthur Ashbuckin has got great fundamentals. Like, fantastic fundamentals. 
we're going to talk about the Suzuki incident. It was addressed by uh, Minoru Suzuki, obviously, and Lance Archer, uh, about them cutting off Suzuki's theme song. And uh, Archer talked about Moxie getting, you know, a, a lot more than just hometown advantage, an unfair hometown advantage, basically. Everything was stacked. The deck was stacked against Minoru Suzuki, particularly them obviously cutting off his song that couldn't fire him up. So they're going to take on Moxley in Kingston next week in New York City. Disappointed, obviously. We knew this was coming, but disappointed, obviously, we aren't getting Kingston versus Miro, but this is a, a fair trade, Sage. We've still got Rochester. We've still got Long Island. Like They're still doing two more New York shows subsequent to Arthur Ashe, so there's still time. This is a fantastic match with which Eddie Kingston's going to get the biggest pop of his career still. That's awesome. Can I just shock you? I don't know how much I like the Suzuki incident discourse. I like that AEW have spun a negative into a positive yep. in their now trademark way. It feeds into the motivation to have what's going to be an absolutely killer match. I don't like the specific adaptation of the of the meme, the Suzuki incident. For those listeners who are unaware, there was a person, don't know their name or whatever, who runs a Twitter account called... Uh, New Japan United States Fan Club or something like that. And he had a go, quite rightly, at AEW, mistiming their show to the point that a big, popular moment that gets Suzuki over to a mostly unfamiliar TV yeah. audience, and they were amateurish enough, let's face it, to not do that. And this person had a go. And this person was probably right to have a go, and this person was just a little bit too earnest in their burial of it. And Suzuki incident carries this like it's not Watergate, is it? Like you know <laughs> what I mean? Like I think this is a rare case of AEW punching down to have a bit of fun. And I don't like that very much. I when I didn't know the origin, and when Cedric explained that to me, I kind of agreed. I thought this was a. I wasn't sure where it sprung out of. I just thought it was. Everybody having a bit it's of fun. It's just some person who really likes New Japan, who you partnered with, by the way. It's not like a Roman Avatar who's an obnoxious idiot. It's not a WWE management figure who you can take the piss out of. It's, well, just it's some WWE behaviour to bully fans full stop, isn't it? Yeah, it's like just they some, have no problem doing that. It's just somebody who really likes New Japan and was disappointed. Like I just thought, use invoking Suzuki incident throughout the broadcast. It felt like punching down to me, and I don't like that. I'll punch up viciously if the target is worthy of it with the blackest humor. But don't punch down, that's the rule. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Next up, it was Malachi Black doing his full epic entrance. He uh, gets into the ring uh, and he says, members of the House of Black, please rise. Uh, He announced that they have got an enemy in their midst and he turns his attention, of all people, to Men in Black 2's Rosario Dawson. She's been in all this stuff, but let's be honest, that was the the peak. Uh, Also, also, uh, of course, a member of the Go Big Show and she's there and she's not only there to support AEW, but she's wearing the Nightmare Family gear Uh, and he turns his attention to her, he gets out of the ring. He may even be preparing himself to attack Rosario Dawson. Um... When all of a sudden, Cody returns. He comes through the crowd. Uh, this distracts Malachi Black. And Rosario Dawson goes, I've got myself an opportunity here. Brave, brave woman. Jumps on uh, jumps on his back, tries to sort of choke him a little bit. Uh, eventually gets her off. And then Cody's there and they brawl and they brawl uh, into the stands. You may well have seen the, the videos on, on Squared Circle or on social media. They didn't just brawl into the stands and go, yeah, cool, good fight. See you later. They were brawling all over the place. His footage of people literally patting Malachi Black on the back as he flies past them, just back and forth with with Cody Rhodes. Uh, let's go to our resident Cody Rhodes fan, Michael Hamper. What did you <laughs> think of uh, of the return of Cody Rhodes and Rosario Dawson's random interactions with Malachi Black? I've got all sorts of conflicting emotions on all of this. Um, Malachi Black looked like Matt Cardona dressed as a druid, pretending to be John Moxley. So I didn't like his look this week. And it's the first time... Uh, he, he does weird goth stuff, which isn't my thing, but I can't deny how awesome he's looked at it. I thought this is the first week. Uh, kind of lame. But crowd were so into him. Like, yeah. so into him. His baby first turn when it comes. Like, it's funny that like all of the guys like Malachi Black and people of his ilk have always been called Next Undertaker. Because I got actual Next Undertaker vibes because people were in for his baby first turn once upon a time too. Like, it's going to be so awesome when he's, a f- when he's formally anointed as a baby face. So the crowd were bang into it. So it's like, well, I, like they don't think he looks stupid. So what does it matter that I do? Similarly, Rosario Dawson, like these celebrity cameos can go both ways. And we've had loads of examples of both, especially with that like sort of frantic energy on a dynamite. Sometimes it can really diffuse it. Sometimes it plays into it perfectly. Crowd went nuts for it. So uh, Jan- Janice is the best example of this, isn't it? When you're just popping off at ringside when they were in Milwaukee. Yeah, right, like... I, I think when you said Rosario Dawson, Men in Black 2, I was thinking of Clerks 2 and Kevin Smith on the first episode of Dynamite and being like, Ugh, like this, is, this is rubbish. <laughs> this what is this? I know what it is, but yeah, why are you doing this it? This is so rubbish and stale. Like, it, it was really hot. Like, the crowd were mad into it. Same thoughts, yet again, applied to the brawl. Am I bringing Cody back this week? If if it's me, probably not. But, like, Cody will do what Cody's going to do. Like, like, he's got a match next week. 
Hmm? Got a match next week. Well, but like, am I having I him? Thought he retired. I know. <laughs> like, so. Am I having him there? Is what I'm saying. Am I yeah. having him in the flesh when he's there next week? Probably not for me, right? Like, but he, he was there. Um, the brawl was unbelievable for a bit, and then it was like, would I have it going that long? Possibly not. Crowd is still responding to it. So it's one of them things, isn't it? Like, as a television presentation, you have you're watching an incredibly satisfied crowd having the time of their lives. And I'm sat there thinking, I wish I could be in that crowd. Like, I wish I'd buy a ticket to that atmosphere, no matter what it is that that atmosphere is responding to. So I don't know. I really don't know. I, Cody, Cody's had a bad year, and this heel turn is almost of his own doing because of... Even this felt unfocused. It's a weird mixed reaction, wasn't it? He got Every, Everyone's happy to see him back, but they're in, you know, they need something he does new. It's wildly unfocused, this brawl included. Um... So the heel turn will, when it comes, if it comes, will I think it will be earned. I think unfortunately, like he's kind of earned it with just like he never he just thinks of things I would do that, and there's no sense of filter with the Cody Rhodes angle these days. Um, but the crowd were bang into it, so I, I, I can't be that critical. I just I don't, like every little bit of it. I was like, uh, uh, but I, I love watching like a hot wrestling product, and this was objectively a really hot wrestling product. I've seen significantly worse crossover. Advertisements than this. It was a decent way of folding everything together nicely. And Cody Rhodes, if he does in fact turn heel at some point, I can see why. But at the same time, he's another wrestler. And Darby Allen's very similar to this. When when Cody Rhodes interacts with whomever he's programmed with at the time, he is exceptional at making it seem like he hates that person that that person is the person who's occupied his thoughts and he's out for revenge or despises that person. Like, that brawl, before it dragged that little bit, was very hot. Cody's fire was unbelievable. He's a great baby face, but he has to turn heel at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Apologies for laughing. Like, yeah, what you know, are you doing? Well, putting, us, uh, putting us off? No, sorry. You said whomever, and whenever I hear a word like that or similar, that for some reason my brain now goes, Justin Roberts... Whomever, wing, word it. Identify with that, Justin Roberts, do you? <laughs> what I am is a member of the Anna J community. Uh, we have a promo for her next and the bunny. Seamless, that you see. Uh, and then she's there. She's being asked about it. She's got Take Conti next to her. And she's got the rest of the Dark Order who just can't get along at the moment. She's literally <laughs> two words into talking. Uh, about her facing the bunny on Rampage this week when Eno Eno goes, oh, I'll shush you right now, love. Um, I can't, I can't I believe... I know what you're doing there. Team Luna was saying, love, but He interrupts her, basically. Uh, Alex Reynolds is furious, understandably, that, that he's interrupted her to talk about the issues of the Dark Order. They start arguing. Uh, I think Alan Angels gets involved in all of this. Anyway, Jay shuts everyone up. And she says, look, if you can't get your sh- together, basically, I do not want you out there when I've got this match. They're probably going to come out there and ruin it and cost her the match. But, yeah, more developments with this uh, Dark Order disintegration storyline, Sige. This, to me, has got the energy of a best friend's feud where the getting there is a little bit whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And yet this incredible emotional climax just suddenly arrives out of nowhere. And it's so odd because... How do they make me care so much in the moment, despite the fact that I didn't really build? It's like a flat line, beep, 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 boom. Mm. 
the Rochester show's coming up. Something with the Dark Order is going to be enormously gratifying suddenly and out of nowhere. The actual, I, I just can't, they, they can't act like they can't act. No. <laughs> they're not very good at acting. I can't take them seriously when they're in conflict. Something great is going to happen in Rochester. They've got the destination in mind. I don't think their acting skills are quite good enough to get them there. If I can paraphrase a crap ex-ECW favourite of both myself and Michael Sidgwick. Michael's got, got a problem. problem. <laughs> um, yes, Rochester. I have this exact same emotional climax in mind to make all of this okay. I also have a huge worry because, of course, the, sh- the, sh- <laughs> the spectre of Brody Lee hangs over Rochester, doesn't it? Hangman Page comes over for the, like, spiritual saviour of the Dark Order, you know, sort of fired up by all of their shared love of Brody Lee. Come on, guys, pull it together. Like, you made me whole. I'm going to make you whole. And I'm going to win that world title one of these days because of you guys. Oh... Brody Lee had another friend on another show, didn't he? Oh. And CM Punk's wrote initials on his shoes. And no, it's a Chicago thing. Gosh, yeah. and, uh, I don't yeah. think CM Punk's... I saw so uh, so uh, Tony D'Angelo. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Just put letters <laughs> on my shoes. I'm walking here. I, it, look, I, I think it's reasonable to have that concern. One way is absolutely awesome. One of the best reasons for all this nonsense to happen. The other reason, oh God. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just... I will feel happier when we've had the page resolution because I've got significant... Thing is, this is me. A lot of fans will be over the moon with what I am, as of this moment, deeming the fucking worst-case scenario. Anyone but you, Wyndham. <laughs> Anyone but you. But I cannot get it out of my head that it's going that way or that way. Like, that was that was my thoughts in this. Because, right, yeah, of course, two weeks time, Rochester, that's the, that's the destination. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what followed was uh, another promo from Dan Lambert. He's f- flanked by more members of American Top Team, your, your, uh, Andre Olovsky's uh, Junior Dos Santos, etc. And, of course, the men of the year. Uh, he slags off the fans, as he often does, talks about, you know, back in his day to find out who was the most popular, you just go to the merch stand and see who was selling the most T-shirts. And they're all sold out now. They're sold out in men's small and women's extra large. Uh, and he basically, I didn't write down what he said next, but... Imagine what Jim Cornette would say about AW flippy matches. Copy paste. That's exactly what he said here about them, you know, hitting 20 super kicks and jumping off stuff and still kicking out a one and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's revealing it to be predetermined there. Not into that. Um, so Chris Jericho interrupts. Uh, he's flanked by Jake Hager, of course. Uh, Lambert is just livid because the crowd are, are singing along to, to Judas. He tells him to cut that. Sh- There's a lot of effing and jeffing around on this show. Um, tells him to cut the music off. The fans keep singing it regardless. And uh, Jericho says, oh, we don't know the lyrics. We're only singing lax. We don't know the lyrics to your song. I'm a fat-faced dipsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets the crowd to chant along to that as the daddy boys roll their eyes sitting next to me here. Uh, Lambert responds by talking about Jericho being this manipulator, getting all the fans to spend their money on his merch and on fuzzy music. <laughs> you buy them fuzzy records. <laughs> Turn it down. Um, <laughs> and quite rightly, Jericho responds by calling him a, a grumpy old man yelling at the AEW cloud. Uh, and then he turns his attention to all the, the jacked guys there from American Top Team and says, huh, which one of you guys is on top? Oh. 
Uh, he talks about the fact... Like a homosexual. <laughs> talks about the fact he's fought former MMA fighters like a beast and raging... Trophy takes it in the ass. <laughs> he's fought MMA... Repugnant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, MMA fighters like a certain beast and a raging bill. Uh, and he talks about the fact that Big Jake here is undefeated. And I was like, yeah, because he hasn't fought anyone like Andre Olaski or JDS, that's why. Um, and then he quotes, oh, God, this is a, I'm just uh, bad on top of bad here. Then he quotes Mike Tyson. Uh, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. They're about to go down to the ring and deal with, I mean, a dumb idea, let's be honest. I'm going to go down. We are at a massive no- numbers disadvantage, and there are two legit MMA heavyweight Hall of Famers in the ring, but we're going to go down and deal with them. But anyway, thankfully, <laughs> Lambert got some, gets on the match and said that match isn't going to happen. That's uh, By that, I mean Jericho and Hager versus the uh, uh, Man of the Man Year, of the year mm-hmm. because uh, it's going to go down in a real city. Uh, they're going to take on the Men of the Year next week. And Jericho says, this going to be, I did like this, no escape from New York for you. Punk loved it too. But we weren't a huge fan of this segment, were we? No, not remotely. I've got multiple problems with this segment and, in fact, the Lambert run in general. Jim Cornette, I understand. That's who's getting played here, we know. Yes. Playing the role of Jim Cornette on this very special episode of Dynamite is Dan Lambert. (laughs) Like, it's not subtle. It's Von Wagner. (laughs) It's Von Wagner. (laughs) It's not, it's not subtle at all. I can understand why they're doing it. It feeds into what the modern AEW audience likes, what they dislikes. There's a conduit to what they dislike, and that person gets beat up. It's a bit cathartic for them. I don't care that much. I don't care remotely about what Jim Cornette thinks of AEW. Increasingly, the people who did before the return of fans, before it became this new life-affirming thing, AEW, the discourse, does the discourse about AEW and people talking about like the flippy vanilla midgets or whatever, I don't think that pisses people off anymore. Mm. I think we've reached a new phase of life in AEW where people are more happy just to ignore the bad faith takes because they're becoming increasingly pathetic and desperate in the face of this just undeniably loud, white, hot product like, I don't think this Jim Cornette stuff, it's niche. I don't think it's, like, remotely necessary. Proper AW fans are no longer defensive. They look at anybody attacking the show and say, why would you not watch this? I know, that's, I know. That's how the, I think that's how the emotion they're has changed. sorry for the people, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, it's like they're not fighting for it. They're like, we don't need to fight for this. Why are you not joining us? Like, yeah. that's that's become the take, I think, on AW. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm if, you, glad if you're going to slag this show off and refuse to watch it, you're lost, effectively. Yeah, exactly. It used to be a little bit fun, or at least, like, you'd get needled into it if you didn't enjoy it actively because you liked the product and you wanted to defend it. But now it's like it's so undisputedly hot that there's no point in doing it. And yet this just feels like a residual, who cares? Like, who cares about what Jim Cornette thinks about AEW? I don't even think Jim Cornette cares about what Jim no. Cornette thinks about AEW at this point. I still wouldn't rule out him being there with his tennis racket next week. I, Honestly, I still wouldn't I mean, rule I out would, him. I mean, I would. I would. You would? The book's in Omega. Like, knee chance. Maybe, yeah. yeah knee maybe. chance whatsoever. But you know what I mean? The point still stands. That this like, feels, FTR are there. Yeah. You know, his guys are there and in amongst it. And just like, it just feels like a thing that no one cares enough about to fictionalize. So I don't care about Dan Lambert at all at this point, even though his delivery is still pretty damn good. The whole idea of Dan Lambert, in addition to being a riff on Jim Cornette, is that he's meant to be the enemy of the 18 to 49 millennial demographic in that 
He's got pretty alt-righty opinions. He's talking about... He's basically saying everything but soy boys and all the rest of it. We know what he's there to do. Chris Jericho was like, as bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They found the IRL character. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> and it's I'm like, Jake Higg. Surely, <laughs> if, if you were going to do this, and as I said, it increasingly feels like a dated thing to do. Even if it was a sensible thing to do to like feed too much into the arcane discourse, like statistically, percentage-wise, very few people have got Twitter and they write their TV as if loads of people do and are bogged down and like some people aren't. These two follow each other on bloody parlor. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it, that might be a bad take of mine because all of this got a massive reaction. We're mm. on an island here. Let's put that forward. But Chris Jericho doing homophobia yeah. against the alt-right antagonist who, you know, the nicer people are meant to hate. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what on earth are we doing here? I could really do without the homophobia because AEW elsewhere has done such a good job of trying to be the inclusive promotion and to get one of your guys with creative control on the most money doing, like, gay gags. Like, get in the bin. Get in the bin with this. It's alienating. It's not funny. Um, I hate it. Yeah, we were wondering where Chris Jericho's been since all out. It turns out he was, like, in the pitch meeting for the Dexter Lumis gag. Like, that's <laughs> just... Yeah, there's, like, there's that prevailing sense. Again, Jericho, as we know, he's got creative control. He's wadded. There's this, like, awful sense of privilege coming out of him with a gag like that, and it's, in, it's supposed to be in opposition to who Dan Lambert is, and it's not. It's in league with him. Um, I like Jericho's... On, a like, a broader level, I like Chris Jericho's demotion to the mid-card for this. I don't... He feels increasingly... I felt, I felt this during a lot of the, the um, labours of Jericho. He is feeling more and more like an inessential part of what AEW is now, and that doesn't in any way discount how important it was for him to be the first champion and some of the contributions he mm. made, even after that. He's well. still insanely over. We should put this over again. The, the homophobia got over. Do you know what I mean? That's the power of Chris Jericho. People were chanting along with the... Like, uh, or the power of New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, of course, he's, he's Chris Jericho. Um, the break, the, the fuzzy break, the people that are buying those fuzzy records, like that cannot come soon enough. And I am desperate. I'm itching for him to be like out injured on a stretcher for that break. Not just, right, guys, I'll see you on the cruise. And he waves. I feel like he might say, you may not take me out. Like I'm just gonna I'm gonna win I'm gonna beat the I'm gonna beat the MMA guys and I'll see you in six months. <laughs> like I don't feel good when Chris Jericho is doing this sort of stuff and I don't feel particularly great when he's on screen full stop. I don't feel anything when he's having long matches and that stands in contrast to almost everything else on this show and, and I know to everyone else. Yeah, and I know that may be sacrilege to some. Honestly, like I know that to some he's like a sacred cow, but it's just I think that's. That's increasingly the vibe around Chris Jericho, and this promo did nothing to change that. A lot of people loved it. I think Sidgwick's right. I think we might be on a bit of an island here. Um, a separate thing on Dan Lambert, because I've been full of praise for him. I actually agree with Sidgwick's point. I, this doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere. Great delivery will only get you too far. Like, will only get you so far. It, doesn't, it feels very, like, dark, dark elevation. He doesn't feel worthy of dynamite. And I'm not really into the visual of a bunch of guys, no matter how hard they actually are. We had a conversation in the office about this this morning. Um, I don't know anything about MMA. You know loads. And I was like, Paige Van Zandt is somebody I would sign. 
Like, because I don't know Jack about MMA, but if you tell me that this person was dead hard in MMA, like Shayna Baszler, mm-hmm. I don't know what her record is, but like she like portrays this absolutely hard as nails ex-cage fighter and I will buy in. I'll buy into that completely. Paige Van Zandt, who has flirted with pro wrestling before, I don't know if it's because she knows how to move her left foot, but she looked like she belonged in a wrestling ring. A lot of those guys that you always remind me of the names of don't. So they don't look hard in the mm, context yeah. of pro wrestling. They look like a bunch of guys that are a little bit like, which bit should I stand on? Like, where? how will this look the best on screen? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think it translates them being hard as nails at all. At least, like, send somebody out there for them to capture them in a quick, like, triangle choke or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, they don't look like tough guys, even if that's what I'm being told they are. Yeah, yeah exactly. They should be putting out that aura of former UFC heavyweight yeah. champions, and maybe occasionally they're just sort of standing there whilst Ethan Page just the physical embodiment of the crying emoji mm. whilst Lambert's shooting up. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that they need to go somewhere with this and they need to sort of reassess how they're presenting it because I think everything you've just both just said there is absolutely spot on. Uh, thank goodness what came next was uh, a recovery of a storyline. We were concerned they were going to drop the gun club. Uh, they uh, <laughs> attacked Paul White a couple of weeks ago, of course, going after his injured hip. And the reason why, they say, is because do wins and losses matter actually in this company? Because they're all undefeated. All the variations of the gun club are undefeated. And yet they haven't got any respect yet, Hamlet. This was as rubbish as Billy Gunn versus Paul White in 2021 is, and as pointless as it is on this white-hot television show, this was one of the better examples of, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, I've got an 86-0 record. It's like, well, we haven't noticed because you've never won on a Wednesday. <laughs> yes. like, this was one of the better examples of that because they're pissed off. Like, they're pissed off with, um, it, Moxley addressed this weeks ago with the kind of, you got all these people coming in. Like, the, the, it's the same stuff, ultimately, just by another name. It's this idea that, like, AEW is taking these giant strides forward. But what about us? What about the gun club? Like, it's a bit of a cell phone, but a, a knowing one. You know, their heels, they're far more natural as our souls as well. So it's not the worst thing in the world. I don't need... No, it's pretty close. Uh, yeah, I don't need any more of this. I don't even need the match on a dynamite. You know my pitch that I always come up with? Like, I would just love once a match to run so long that they can't fit everything in. I want that to be Billy Gunn and Paul White. Like, oh, there's a, <laughs> oh we're out of timing because no fan would be like, where's my Billy Gunn and Paul White match? I don't, ben I, Roy would be. But I, I, yeah, Ben Roy, ben Roy aside, I don't think anybody would be like, no, like end this Kenny Omega match because we need Billy Gunn and Paul White. Um, I, not a great deal more of this. But universe-wise, I don't think it's the worst thing they've ever done. I think it's the worst crime against Dynamite's time, this. Uh, it's too unimportant for me to talk about at this stage. We'll preview it when it inevitably happens. Hmm. Uh, Let's move on instead and talk about hometown girl. God bless you. uh, God bless me. God bless Leila Hirsch. She was facing (laughs) Jake Cargill next. And uh, yeah, the size discrepancy. We talked about this on the preview. uh, And yet Leila Hirsch, you know, has been shown to be able to take down Jake Cargill. She she fought of. Valiantly, of course, in the Casino Battle Royal, as we were reminded here. Uh, and uh, early on, she uh, takes Cargill down and goes to do a dive onto the outside. But Cargill's not there when she gets there. It is, in, far, in fact, Mark Sterling who, who eats that. Um, yeah, she takes out Cargill at the knees. She, 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 uh, she hits running knees uh, in the corner, but she only gets a one count. She goes for the cross arm breaker, but Cargill, because of her freakish strength, powers out with a power bomb. Um, she tries to hop on Cargill's back and put her, put her in a sleeper, but Cargill hip tosses her out of it. Uh, Hirsch hits, fights back, uh, hits a ripcord German, tope suicida, uh, bicycle kick, bicycle knee. 
goes to the ropes and I'm going, oh, don't do it, Layla. And yes, yet again, of course, she goes to that moonsault. Cargill's rolled out of the way and she uh, turns around straight into a Jade Cargill pump kick. One, uh, hits it with Jaded. One, two, three. As the, as we thought this was going to go, but I, I thought a good uh, exhibition for these two. Yeah, they explored the contrast in the physiques and the styles and the technique and the power. It was all very solid and nice, this, um, without being anything that I'll remember. They did the best story at their disposal. My intelligence wasn't insulted. My heart wasn't warmed or thrilled. My I, adrenaline wasn't pouring. I like this significantly more. I think the... I love Leila Hirsch. Love her. And the thing is, she's clearly still quite raw. Um, and they're not trying to sell you on her being the next challenger to Britt Baker, for example. And, you know, we talk about reps all the time. I think she's in front of a lot of those that need reps. But it's absolutely, like, there's no point rocket strapping her now or anything. You know what I mean? Just, like, she can absorb countless defeats while she gets better and better and better. We talk all the time about one of these days when she finally hits the moonsault. Like, all the impact stuff's really cool. I got what I wanted in that feeling of Jade Cargill being German and just being like, I was over there and now I'm over here. You fucking what? Like, and the cool thing about this progression of Jade Cargill, as all the great monster pushes go, um, when they're not flubbed, that is, you do start with total domination, and then it's all about how you measure how mm, they get on the yeah. first time they're rattled. That's like this, it's, a, it's an often forgotten chapter of the successful monster push, is the bit in the middle, where if you're going to go from, I think of Ryback, and they blew it with Ryback because he's fighting complete pasty nobodies, and then he gets hoid into that match with CM Punk, and it's like, do we beat him, or does he actually go over CM Punk because he's been dominant against everybody else, and they screwed it up. There was no middle portion where he's been like knocked off his feet and rattled for the first time, and he's got to like shake his head off and get himself like this was Jade Cargill's first attempt at that, and I thought she nailed it because mm. it's not an easy job as well to like shake off something like that suplex or gen like actual offense and oh god I'm being tested here. That's that can sometimes degenerate into acting, and I thought she did a great job with it, and it tells me that AEW are doing a great job with her. She's not yet a Britt Baker challenger only because she's decided not to be one. I am led to believe that if she wanted Britt Baker tomorrow, she would decimate her. But in reality, we know that's not the case. So they need to keep doing matches like this as she continues ascending. I thought I thought this was like a really nice bit of business. I will put over Leila Hirsch's facial expression just before she was slammed to the mat. With, what's it, jaded? Jaded, yes. Uh, she looked like... I don't know. The facial expression that Leila Hirsch has... Leila Hirsch... Was like she knew she was doomed. Why can't I move? Yeah, no, <laughs> like I've been like, she didn't look like she'd been screwed. She just looked despondent. Mm. The fact that like if she was just that little bit bigger, she would have been a better opponent. Like the facial expressions were good, but I thought the match was. I just wasn't enormously mad on it. Mm. Uh, we previewed him yesterday, and we got a response from Andrade El Idolo uh, following the fallout from Rampage last week. Next, uh, he demanded that his assistant, Jose, explain his actions from Rampage. He tried to explain that Chavo instructed him, and Andrade said, I don't care, effectively. Chavo doesn't give the directions. I'm the boss, and they inferred, basically, he's no longer acquiring of uh, Chavo Guerrero's services. Uh, they're discussing this on commentary after seeing this video package, when all of a sudden, Taz 
walks out to confront CM Punk. Uh, he's angry about Punk. What, what are you doing? You taking my job now? Uh, Punk also had a nice line. I didn't know they allowed trolls across the bridge uh, <laughs> as Taz walked towards him. You better hope he wasn't in earshot when he said that, when you said that, Phil. Uh, anyway, so yes, Taz is getting up into his face. He's jaw jacking with CM Punk. Uh, he uh, eventually Punk takes off his headset, and uh, you know we're going to talk about the dream match that was previewed. Uh, a little bit later on, but this was my dream match, and that is Hook versus CM Punk. That is money. Um, but as uh, you know, Hook is sort of backing off. Punk is, you know, pacing across the stage towards him. In comes Powerhouse Hobbs, who just lays out CM Punk from behind. He tries to fight back Punk, but it's the numbers game, as always. Uh, Hook puts him in a sleeper, and they clear off the announce table, and uh, Hobbs slams Punk onto the table. And I, I, I love this more often, Sige. Table doesn't break. That looked like a rough old bump to take, and yeah, understandable that he wasn't on the show anymore after that. Absolutely. I adored this segment. I've been campaigning. Right, okay, the Rampage was like... Really awesome. This is why you watch wrestling magical, right? Beat him up. He's so over that if you kick this guy's head in, it's going to be awesome. They kicked his head in tonight, and it was awesome. And I'll tell you what. I believe that this is going to be the making of someone like Powerhouse Hobbs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Powerhouse Hobbs, like, I thought he concussed CM Punk. It was such a vicious blow to the back of the head. If he's not done that, what a wonderfully worked or lucky escape that was. It just looked like he'd rattled his bloody clock. Um, tell you what I loved about this. Not just the fact that a great hoss, big bastard, has just really hurt your favorite who you never thought would return. The hook stuff was great. What I loved about this was that it was so organic, believable, and deft. Got a deft on this podcast. Building a scene of conflict, and yet another layer of why Taz would be hating CM Punk around Excalibur going on honeymoon. Just making it so organic and natural and another thing that would piss Taz off. And the more things you do to piss off Taz, the more believable it is, the more entertaining the TV is, the more it feels like he's really going to get his goons to kick your head in. Just absolutely wonderful stuff. Can't wait for the match. Can't wait for Punk versus Hook. And they did it in a way that felt so unbelievably believable, and it's because one of the members of the staff were on honeymoon. Incredible pro wrestling storytelling, incredible thought applied to it, so deft. Because I remember Taz was furious about this on Rampage as well, wasn't it? They were like, mm. still no Excalibur. He's like, how long's he on a bloody wedding stuff for? This gets better the more you think about it like that, because in the moment you're not thinking anything, you're just feeling everything. Oh, you want the table, do you? I'll give you the table. Like, the, the table being used as a literal thing, like the yeah. stick to beat CM Punk with by Taz, because he's bitter about everything, and he's angry that, like, CM Punk is a guest commentator, a guest, but Taz is like, I don't care that he's got loads of back. Why is he my... It's not your chair. It's a, he's a guest commentator. And I think I said yesterday on the preview, the cool thing about this inevitable attack was that it wouldn't make Punk look like an idiot babyface, because he's out there to call the matches, and at some point, like, it's not like he's not been sort of lured into this, He's out there to do what a lot of AEW wrestlers do, which is sometimes guest, take that fourth chair. And uh, and he was doing a brilliant job, by the way. Like, we haven't really had much time to talk about I thought CM Punk was awesome tonight. The four-man booth thing isn't a problem. It's the four men at the booth. Yeah. This is like, yes. that has told us that, that like you can have a four-man booth when the chemistry is right and the guest is awesome. CM Punk is brilliant at commentary. Um, yeah, so he was great all night. And yeah, it played into who this Taz character is. 
the like everything Cedric said there, like just the, the wonderful way in which they've arrived at this point to set up a fantastic match. And it was about three and a half minutes into the Derby Allen match that I started getting giddy, realizing what the CM Punk run was going to be. Mm. And uh, like, yes, I want Punk and Cody because it feels enormous. Yes, I want Punk and Moxley because it's not Punk and Ambrose. But early in that Derby Allen match was when it told me that, like, this is not that. This is Punk going through the ranks. This is Punk versus this young guy and this young guy. Like, he's Oprah. You get a match, and you get a match, and you get a match. Like, and now it's Powerhouse Hobbs. And Powerhouse Hobbs is as different as you could possibly get to Derby Allen in terms of size. So he's not going to get him up for the go to sleep. So he's going to use the Anaconda device because AEW are awesome at giving their wrestlers secondary finish. It's, it's like giving Moxley the uh, bulldog choke, isn't it? You know, it's that moment where it's like, oh, he's got that too. Like, God, I love this so much. This CM Punk run is my favourite thing in wrestling this year, and they are not putting a foot wrong for me. And he is so... He's so... Remember, like, the whole... Like, he now tells us that he's been talking to Tony Khan for years and all that sort of stuff, but publicly he had to say, like, you know, like, money's money, but it's got to be about a story. And when it... That was in a WWE context, you were just thinking... But he's not good. He's sit not him, getting one. Yeah. Sit him down and give him a Royal Rumble to WrestleMania stretch. That was all you like. That would all you would think about, wasn't it? Like put him in the main event of WrestleMania because it's what he wanted, and he gets something from January. It's a rock thing, January to April or whatever. This is not that in it. Like it, the story that he has been sold by AW by Tony Khan is uh, two, three years of you fighting people that you've never ever fought before. Every young talent that will be itching to work with you to learn from you, for you yeah. to learn from them, and you. Getting to in a fake sport, getting to do the real life thing of finding like the five star wrestler again and going brick by brick by brick and building those seven years back. It is amazing. The, as I say, and I don't think any of this while I'm watching it, I've just got this biggest smile on my yeah. face. It's after the fact when you get to think about all these little details and enjoy them more. It's wonderful. Yeah. It is just wonderful. Who could have seen this coming? Oh, me. Um, next up, though, we had a match. I preferred a toots. <laughs> Bring that back. <laughs> next up, we had a match uh, featuring one of the real stars of uh, AEW this year. And Darby Allen was in it as well. Uh, Sean Spears. <laughs> Uh, had a little. Oh, we love Sean Spears here. Um, he did little the chairman cometh uh, promo beforehand, and uh, immediately he takes control of Darby Allen because Darby Allen's your bell rings. He's in the corner. He's he's you know preparing to rise up out of it and get into this brawl. And Tully Blanchard just just teases, maybe just sort of sneaking in and give him a little right hand through the ropes. That distracts him. That allows Sean Spears to attack to uh, send him to the outside to attack him using the ring steps, throwing him into him, kneeing him, uh, and then he pulls down his knee pad, flips off Sting, and uh, then that allows Darby Allen to move out of the way. So Spears just whacks his knee right into the steel steps. That allows Darby Allen to take control. He goes, sets up for a big dive through the ropes, but Tolly Blanchard gets in the way because Darby Allen doesn't want to murder an old man, at least not yet. Um, he stops himself there. Again, that allows Spears to recover and then take control. And he wets this cloth on the outside and he wipes all the face paint off Darby Allen's stupid face-painted face as we head to the break. Uh, and then we come back. Spears has got Darby Allen in the Scorpion Deathlock because Blue Sting's ringside. But Allen reaches the ropes. He takes out Spears. Basement dropkick. Code Red gets a near fall off the top of the, off that. They're fighting on the top rope. Uh, Spears uses the, the chain that Darby Allen always wears around his neck. Uh, he goes for a uh, C4 onto the steps on the outside, uh, but Darby Allen counters it with a stunner, and then he hits this crazy suicide dive through the ropes onto Sean Spears, who's been knocked down onto the steel steps, who are just sitting outside the ring, just, just 
takes him out, takes uh, Sean Spears back into the ring, coffin drop, one, two, three. Post-match, FTR come in uh, to face off with a celebrating Darby Allen and Sting. They brawl, Tully hits Sting with a chair. Um, look, Sting and Darby Allen do get the advantage for a while, but the numbers game yet again catches up to them. Uh, and FTR hit the spike pile driver on Sting before Tully wipes off his face uh, and, the, and the face paint. Sid, your thoughts? The thoughts I have about this are that pro wrestling rules and pro wrestling should never have become stupidly overscripted, bantering promo volleys of exposition and marketing nonsense. It's angles. That's the power of AEW. It's angles. This angle was incredible. The match. Wasn't too much to write home about. They did a few nice moments of creativity to get Darby Allen over as this ridiculously propulsive, reckless guy with the uh, stair spot. I thought that was very smart. Uh, they built the Tully Blanchard Sting stuff. It was all more than serviceable and fun and really well-received and engaging as a result. But FTR, not only were they drilling Sting's head into the ground, that's awesome. The best thing that AEW's done, potentially ever, is somehow building Sting as someone who's not 60 years old. He's eternal. He's ageless. He's this mythical icon, and it's great. FTR, in removing his face paint, are trying to tell you that, no, he's just an old man underneath this. And how heartbreaking is that for you to watch when you've invested so much in this Sting character? And how awesome is it going to be when he beats FTR, thus revealing, no, I'm goddamn Sting. I'll do this until I'm a 1,000 because I have no age. That angle was awesome. I loved, I wanted to mention this earlier, I loved, you know, the, the, the story here is FDR disrespects Sting. They, they like say, spike pile driver him, they wipe his face off, and just personified by, I think it was Excalibur, one of the commentators saying, or maybe JR actually saying, they're disrespecting the legend that is Sting, and they're doing the, you know, the mocking beating of the chest and what have you. But I loved Dax's, I think it was Dax, turned around as they're literally saying the words, disrespecting Sting. And he... <laughs> He's emptying his nose effectively onto Sting. I just thought that personified this brilliant segment. Yeah, the, like the disrespect of a snot rocket goes back as well. It's another thing in wrestling, isn't it? Like the yeah, wiping off the face paint is such an inspired choice. Like it's we know in wrestling that face paint is effectively war paint. Um, it's you know hugely disrespectful, but it's also one wrestler suggesting that they're nothing underneath it. Yeah. Darby and Sting and nothing underneath that. It's not like when the warrior would sweat it off if you had to go more than five minutes. Like this is this is their you know their some like, of the flakes. Oh, they were class, weren't they? They were absolutely class. I liked but, Samoa Joe's face tattoo in TNA, <laughs> the little tire marks or whatever it was. But like a cack. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, like that ingredient was fantastic. Um, a day one take on uh, Sean Spears because he's a great player coach, isn't he? Like this was one of them sort of player coach matches that like you're glad he's on the roster. We've really enjoyed the pattern for him, but this is one of them matches where you're like. What a good hand. You know, like, all yeah. that patronising stuff was really, like, dead on. It was a really good, like, idea from Cody to have that for their angles. Such a backhanded compliment. Because you do feel it when you're watching Sean Spears' matches. Like, there he is. Like, there he, he's not going to put a left foot wrong against the Darby Allen. He's going to be <laughs> everywhere Darby Allen needs him to be for this Darby Allen showcase, great as it was. Um, love the booking so much. Of, like, everything I said about FTR in the match. Forget it, because I was buzzing as out for this tag match next week. And I couldn't switch off like a lot of these little thoughts I was having about what's next for all these characters. So a couple of observations and they were opposite ends of the scale. So it could be one or the other and neither. First one was that Tully was wearing a bright red suit jacket like Cody because there has always been, remember Arn coming out yeah. and looking at Tully and 
FTR, like all of those things, are st- there's still feelings, isn't there, with all those people? And there's all there's this like tease that Ric Flair's going to be there next week. We assume with Andrade, but what if that's a red herring? What if Andrade is there? Is this Flair's going to come in and he's not? And what if there's this sort of incredible Arthur Ashe moment between these, you know, these old war horses? The other one is that there has been what seems to me to be a intentional obscuring of the Pinnacle's existence by having MJF. Mm. Beca- he's going to beat Brian Pillman Jr. next week and have nothing to do. What if FTR's involvement in all of this is to bring MJF into Sting and Darby Allen's orbit? Like, he's going to be finished with Brian Pillman Jr. Time for the next big MJF angle. What if it's MJF, Darby Allen? Like, that's pay-per-view stuff, isn't it? Yeah. That's full gear stuff, and you, like, it's seamless how you bring the pinnacle back together for the first time since forever. Like, the, like it's, it's not been an accident that MJF's distanced himself. It's been done on television to make you forget the allegiance so that next week, when Sting and Derby beat FTR, it's boot, so the war dog comes out and batters Sting, and then you're on your way to MJF versus Derby at full gear. Love it. Uh, right, that was followed by uh, a Brian Danielson video promo. I think we saw this on Rampage, to be fair. Um, and then the actual promo, which I want to talk more about, of course, uh, because Tony Schiavone, uh, giddy as we all are, brings out Brian Danielson uh, to, to talk about this potential match with Kenny Omega. Danielson's asking what the crowd thinks, but before we can really get anywhere with this, out comes uh, the AEW World Champion Kenny Omega and Don Callis. Uh, Callis called Danielson sickening. Uh, he mocked him about uh, how he said, oh, you thought it was a hard decision to move to AEW. If you really did make this decision to come here for the good of the wrestling industry, you're just a mark. Uh, <laughs> Danielson gets on the mic, he says, please just shut up, basically, to Don Callis. He's here to talk to Kenny Omega. He says, look, Kenny, one day this will be about the title, but right now it's simply about who is better. Uh, he challenges him. Callis is not having any of this. No way that um, Kenny Omega is going to fight him. Again, Danielson shuts him up. He says, I came to AW to fight the best bout machine, but since I've been here, all I've seen is a guy who hangs out with a bunch of goofy stooges and lets this bell end effectively speak for him. I don't believe the rumors uh, that you've lost a step but maybe you'll last your balls. Uh, whereabouts are the balls located on a man, Michael Sidgwick? Next to the cat. Oh, thanks. <laughs> uh, and Kenny Omega responds by saying, you know what? My answer, despite how angry this made Don Callis, is yes. Michael Sidgwick, you're getting the dream match. On my birthday, man. <laughs> on my literal birthday. Does this mean we don't have to get him anything? Th- uh, thanks for listening, because you've saved us some money. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for listening, Tony. On my birthday, I'm getting my dream match. A Mount Rushmore match. A goddamn dream match. And this is the best possible dynamic to tell the easiest professional wrestling story. These two legitimately hold a claim to being the best in the world and indeed the best ever. Brian Danielson, a babyface, imported from the WrestleMania main event, doesn't want to beat, like, with all due respect, Daniel Garcia and Wheeler Eater on Dark. It would be awesome, and it still might happen, and in fact, I hope it does. But for now, it makes perfect sense. For, you know what? I'm Brian Danielson, and it's different to Daniel Bryan because the way he caustically shut Don Callis down, it was like, you look like the guy with the eye patch and the shaved head in Ring of Honor, (laughs) like this incredibly hard, vicious guy you can't believe is actually nice. And if you reduce all of this down to its components, it's essentially Brian Danielson wants Kenny Omega to say... Oh, it's not working. I haven't got the speaker on. Oh, I was going to do a bit with the bloody thing. <laughs> I don't even know which one that was. It was going to be 
Yay! They will get it. We'll get it in the edit. So, reduce it down to its components, right? Brian Danielson just wants Kenny Omega to say, Yay! <laughs> but Kenny Omega initially wants to say, No, dear, that's wrong. <laughs> but Brian Danielson is so determined in his spiel, he's speaking to the guy underneath the caricature that Kenny Omega is deliberately playing and trying to invoke the competitive spirit from. He does so with the most piss and vinegar caustic challenge and eventually Kenny Omega, the dormant part of him who knows he can do this fair deep down inside, says, you know what? I'm not the belt collector. I'm not the best bout machine if I can't beat you. The way it was all measured to get that, to extract that response from Omega was wonderful. Brian Danielson's energy in this company is unbelievable. I adore it. We never saw it once. We never saw it once in WWE. And think about how seminal that run was. We didn't get it like this. No. This is the dragon. This is the American dragon. And he's going to kick his head in. And I love it. And it's on my birthday. And we got t-shirt stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah the Kenny Omega like going shirt for shirt with uh, Brian is fantastic. Brian Danielson said... That he and it wasn't a copyright thing. It was none of that sort of stuff. He just said he wasn't gonna um, force yes out of the fans because it's just, you know new start and all that. He knows what he's doing though. He forced the best yes out of Kenny Omega because yeah, it was like he'd climbed into his head and like dragged this yes out of him. It was a different Omega and like a credit to Omega's acting here as yes. well because it was like a split second personality change. It was in his eyes. It was in whatever effect he put on his voice. Like, dare I say it, Vince McMahon attitude era levels of voice control of how he changed his entire demeanor in a vocal delivery of a, of a single word. Um, I am so relieved that a lot of wrestling is bad because when it is this good, it is nearly impossible to analyze because we can sit here on a podcast and say, like, you, Daddy Boys, what do you think of this? Well, did you watch it? Mm. It was brilliant. Yeah. Like, it's really, <laughs> really hard when something is this electrifying because we're fans first, like... We got this job because we were really big fans and we just wanted to talk and write about it more. And this is what makes you a fan. This is what keeps you a fan. Um, yeah, I, it just, it felt so right mm. in that way that WWE have mined all those dream matches that they literally ran out. You know, like the point where they could start doing them. They owned the game. They were making friends with every legend and they were all really fun. This graphic, this graphic, and it was like you didn't even need to try because it was just like <laughs> that is really cool. Like this is one of the first times AEW has been given the luxury of that, and they are still going to the trouble of fantastic creative. Like this feels like it's got loads of heft. It's got clear direction because it's funny you mentioned Daniel Garcia and Willie Uta because I think Brian Danielson is going to beat Kenny Omega, and of course Kenny Omega is then going to say, "Well, tough titties, I got the title." Yeah, so. Brian Danielson is going to wrestle every single week like he's doing his own labours of Jericho. But it's not going to look like a labour. It's going to look like what he wants to do more than anything. He's going to get the gun club record in matches we're going to see. Yeah. That's the difference. <laughs> like he's going to be 12-0, and 0 and we're going to have seen every single one of those until Kenny has no choice. Uh, and that's, sh I'm assuming that's surely the full game main event. Yeah. Like, and how cool is that, by the way? I've been a critical of anyone, you know, that feeling of like mid-card Kenny earlier this year. We could be going into the second pay-per-view in a row where the title match is a rematch. Yeah. Unbelievable booking. It might um, just be rinse and repeat of All Out. It'll still be the best thing in wrestling all year. Yeah. Fantastic booking. 
Uh, we'll move on because we, we're talking a lot about the show today. We're really enjoying it. Um, we had a, a, a promo from uh, Miro responding to Fuego del Sol. Uh, he said, Fuego, you're putting your throat on a blade that already spared you. I'm going to bash your brain in, then I'm going to bash your car. This is the word of the Redeemer. Epic. Uh, and then Matt Hardy said he was going to shave uh. Orange Cassidy's head. Uh, then we got a, a brilliant rundown. I won't go through it all now, but in the next nine days, uh, we've got fantastic <laughs> stuff coming from AEW. <laughs> Main event. Never going to live that down ever. Main event time. Uh, it is the real stars of the show. 2.0 taking on Moxley and Kingston uh, as Moxley and Kingston are making their uh, entrance through the crowd. 2.0 and Daniel Garcia, of course, joining Matt and Jeff. Uh, they sense this opportunity. They attack them beforehand. They're brawling around ringside. It cuts to one point uh, for John Moxley sitting Jeff Parker down in a chair and just biting his head because that's what he does. They brawl all around there. Moxley suplexes bloody everyone. Uh, but Garcia distracts to allow 2.0 to hit a combo suplex on Moxley as we head into the commercial break. Uh, Kingston eventually gets the hot, hot tag, takes out both of 2.0. Machine gun chops in the corner, exploder uh, as we come out of it. Again, another Garcia distraction that allows uh, Jeff Parker to roll up Eddie Kingston for a two count. Uh, Kingston, though, immediately hits the spinning back fist, brings in Moxley, and they hit that wicked lariat half and half suplex for the victory. Post-match, out comes Minoru Suzuki. This time they play his whole theme. Um, and he's pointing and referencing that buggered-up eye he got off the back of that match with Moxley. Uh, Lance Archer, is, as, as Minoru Suzuki's taking Kingston and Moxley's attention, he comes out from the crowd, pulls Kingston into there, and these four men just start fighting all over the place, uh, including Suzuki trying to put Moxley through the timekeeper's table, but Moxley twats him with a microphone to get out of it and as we go off the air these four cannot be separated and are just fighting all over the arena yeah i have realized and i think this is why this puts this dynamite so high up in the, the all-time dynamites for me of which there's been loads as well there has been loads but i've realized the trick to getting away with a predictable and somewhat inessential match pairing is if there's a star at least one star and there's two in moxley and eddie king so i love 2.0 we all love them Daniel Garcia, I think, is money. Proper top-line money one of these days. There's such an energy that radiates off him. Um, but the, the match was never in doubt, and the idea of the match was never really... What you were going to get was never in doubt. But the s- stars on the level of John Moxley and certainly how the fans receive Eddie Kingston elevates it, and that's the trick. There's been Dynamite main events like this where the stars haven't quite been on that level, and it's felt like a bit of a... Is this really, like, main event-worthy? It's main event-worthy because they're main eventers, and... 2.0 was so fantastic, uh, again, in a way that FTR haven't really done, four babyfaces, uh, putting me in the ring, because I wouldn't want John Moxley to throw that cup at me that he does, let alone throw one of his punches the way he was <laughs> flinging them, windmilling like these poor lads, biting their faces. Probably shouldn't have called out his missus. Well, that's it. Was he calling out his missus or was he calling out his baby? <laughs> it, it, was, it was this one or this one that he was going to get, wasn't it? So it was great. Um, loved the brawl at the end, loved Kazanina Ray as a direct payoff, because it's like, yes, this has all been a bit of fun, but like this has to end in a fight and we're going to get the fight. I don't expect that fight to go very long next week because it doesn't really need to. It's actually this energy that you had at the end of this show that you need to summon for like something that I would have go under seven minutes. It never once loses its spark and then it's done. Um, just expert episodic pro wrestling television more than it was some sort of masterpiece. I loved it. Yeah, I love this. Another just incredibly great thing AEW do is they never patronise you. They don't say that, oh, 2.0, we've got a chance here. Of course they don't, so they get Garcia to beat them up before the bell again. 
because they know their total chances. Hilarious chances, incredibly entertaining and charming chances, but that's what they are. There were two moments in this match where I thought John Moxley had doled out concussions. That's <laughs> just because of how awesome his lariats are. So you just got like a really fun massacre that one would expect. And they got the comeback spot perfectly, measured it perfectly in terms of where these characters are in the tier system of AEW. Kazuya Nina was great. The brawl was fantastic. All of this is just wonderful pro wrestling television, and the show absolutely rules. Yeah, great ending to a brilliant episode of AEW Dynamite. Let us know your thoughts on it on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilburn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, our Rampage preview, which is coming your way tomorrow. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we... We'll see you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>